Good morning, Hope Elam. It is so good to be with you today. My name is John Anderson, one of the pastors here, and again, want to extend a special welcome to those of you here in the room, as well as the hundreds that are worshiping online with us right now. It is so good to have you worshiping with us. Today is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. So thankful to our awesome uh, worship team every single week. I, if there's no other reason, man, just to come and be in the presence of God and worship him, it is so good to worship uh, in God's house or in your house, wherever you might be uh, this morning. I tell you, one of the, the, the great things about the last few weeks is you look around, some of you that are down here, maybe it's kind of hard to see up uh, in the balcony, but every single week, there's about 10 or 15 more new people here every single time. And so what I love about, yeah, praise God, and... Uh, <laughs> What I love about Sunday mornings is just like this perpetual family reunion, okay? Because here's the thing, whether you, this is your first time here this morning, which we know for some of you it is, or whether it's your 100th time, we are family. So wherever you're at right now, just turn to the people around you and say, hello, brother, hello, sister, tell them that right now. Hello, brother, hello, sister. You are just as, and if you're in the, if you're online, put in the chat, hello, brother, hello, sister, say hi to some of your friends there. If you're online, you are just as much a part of the Hope Elam family here this morning. So say, we want to say this morning, welcome home. Welcome home. Whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, we're so glad that you're here. Today, we are going to talk about the longest detour of all time. Everybody say detour. detour. Life is full of detours, as you heard talked about in that opening clip. I remember a few years back when people like went to gatherings uh, and didn't have to wear masks and things like that. My wife and I were headed up to northern Iowa, which is basically southern Minnesota weather-wise, uh, and we were headed up there for a wedding. And we get about 30 minutes out, and all of a sudden we see that big orange sign that says detour, right? I'm like, oh, great, because we're perpetually running behind, but hey, we plan in advance. It's all good. It's going to be great. And we've got the little GPS, the little British lady in our phone uh, that's telling us where to go, right? And so what do you do when you hit a detour? Your phone is so smart, it says what? Rerouting, recalculating, rerouting, okay? And we do this for about 20 or 30 minutes, and I feel like we've gone in circles about three times. Like we've done a roundabout in the fields of northern Iowa. And she just keeps saying, rerouting, rerouting. And I'm just getting more angry and more angry. And pretty soon, I can't remember, it was a few years ago, but I'm pretty sure that the little GPS lady on our phone said, you're lost, try again, you're lost. Uh, and, and, and we don't know where we are. And literally, I am so mad, we get to the wedding 25 minutes late and we slip in fashionably in the back. And I just remember being so frustrated that we encountered a detour. And I was, I was looking back and, and, and reflecting on how I respond to, to that. And I responded as if there should never be detours in life. There should never be circumstances in our lives that throw us a curveball or that we don't know are coming. And I wonder if that's our attitude on the road of life sometimes as well. We've all experienced detours. We know that they're coming, and so why don't we respond differently? Think about it this way in a more of a visual sense, and hopefully those of you online can catch this. Every single one of us in our lives, we have a point A and we have a point B. Well, multiple point A's, multiple point B's. There are goals that we have, there's longings that we have, there's desires that we have in our relationships, 
goals maybe we have for nutrition or fitness or for our spiritual life or or for our marriage. Certainly there's an A and a B for us as a church. We're on this journey of where we want to get to and we merged about three months ago and then we're headed towards being this church that all of us envision, this growing, healthy, effective church. And I think that for some of us, we think that it's just going to be that perfect straight line. That there's never going to be any issues, there's never going to be any difficulties or anything like that. And a lot of us think that life from A to B is like that. Has that been your experience? Anybody? Right, okay. Maybe maybe a few of you have experienced a, 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 a road without any barriers. But I think if we're honest, if I'm honest about my life, if where we're at as a church from moving from A to B, where you're at in your life and moving from uh, the goals and desires that you have to the fulfillment of those desires, don't be overwhelmed by my artistic ability, but I think life goes a little bit more like this. Can I get an amen from the congregation, okay? It's just, I know. Some of you are like, that guy needs to go to art school. This is amazing, okay? Don't be overwhelmed, okay? Life is not lived here or here. Life is mostly lived here. Amen? That's called a detour. And our lives are filled with multiple detours. I wonder what detours have you experienced in your life recently? Certainly 2020 and spilling into 2021 was a massive detour for all of us. But let's get real. Let's get personal for a second. Just in, I don't know, the last month, just here in our community, I've talked to a man that was about three years from retirement, having worked at the same job for 40 years, laid off. Detour. Others of you are in the middle of a painful divorce. Some of you are getting denied for employment for the third or fourth or fifth time, and you're starting to grow weary and lose heart. Talk to a young couple that has been struggling with infertility for five years. Don't tell them life is a straight line from A to B. Life is filled with detours. What are yours? Life isn't lived in the beginnings and the end of our desires and the, and the fulfillment of those desires. It's lived in between. Life is lived in between, between desires and fulfillment. It was J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote the famous Lord of the Rings book series before it became movies, and he famously wrote this, not all who wander are lost. Is that you this morning? Maybe you feel like you're wandering through the wilderness of 2020 and 2021. Not all who wander are lost because why? Because you're in between. You're in between. Everybody say, I'm in between, but I'm not lost. Say, I might be in between, but I'm not lost. I think that's all of us. So maybe a better question today is not why the detours, but what can I learn in the midst of the detours? How do I learn to thrive in the middle of, well, you could call it the wilderness? And for that, we go to Exodus chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, we're one of those crazy churches that uses our Bibles every single week. So bring it, whether you got it on pen and paper or you've got it on your Bible app. Exodus chapter 17. Today we are continuing a series called 40 Days of Renewal during the season of Lent as a church. And the last few weeks we've been looking at stories about this number 40 in the Bible that represents a season of waiting or preparation or testing or trial. 
and nobody knows that better than the nation of Israel. If you remember, God's people are on a journey from here to there. They've been rescued from Pharaoh and and, and hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to their destination, which is the land of Canaan or the promised land. They are on a journey, but they're in between. Now, if you look at this map, uh, go ahead and pull that map up, up on the screen. As the Israelites are making this journey, I put two big red stars. That's what we want in our lives, right? God, where are you taking me? Where should I go? For the Israelites, it was very clear in the shortest distance from Egypt to the promised land is about 290 miles. Whoop, right along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, right? Easy. Get some rental cars and you're there in a couple days, right? Whatever it takes, okay? Do you notice the other line, though? The blue line. They go all the way around here. It kind of looks like our map up here. So maybe we can identify with the Israelites. A 290-mile journey took 40 years. 40 years. Some of the detours that they were on, they caused, and some happened to them. But unfortunately, we can learn a lot from God's people about how to not respond to the detours of life, about how to work our way through the wilderness. And as I look at my life, if I'm honest, if I look at the lives of those in our community, there's kind of three default reactions that all of us have to the wilderness of our lives. And they are complaint, everybody say complaint, control, cynicism. They all start with C. It's amazing. You'll be easy easy to remember that way. So number one is complaint if you're open to Exodus chapter 17. This is how to not respond to the detours of life. They've been traveling through the desert for some time now. Think about this to set the stage. God has rescued them from Egypt, from generational slavery and bondage. He brings them to the Red Sea. They think it's over. And what does God do? One of the most amazing miracles of all time. And Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, raises his hands up and splits the Red Sea. And they walk tens and hundreds of thousands of people through the Red Sea. God's providing for them day to day. And so you would think that God's people would have total trust, even in the middle of the wilderness. And then we arrive at verse 3 of chapter 17. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled. They grumbled. Anybody have teenagers or children or adults in your home? Any of us? They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? For most of us, when life throws us a curveball, big or small, when life throws us a detour, We go right to the why questions of life. God, why did this happen? Why are you doing this to me? Why me? Why now? Why is this happening? And certainly do not hear me wrong this morning. There is a time for the why questions of life. There is times when God calls us to pour out our hearts and cry out to him, just as a lot of us did these last 12 months. Do you know that today is the one-year anniversary? This was our last service before things shut down last year. March 8th, 2020. The topic that I preached on that day, fear. God knew what was coming, even though we didn't. I want to talk about a detour. And here we are 12 months later. God, why? 
God, why? And we all ask those questions. It's the entire book of Psalms. There is a time for the why questions, but what you'll notice for the writers of the Psalms, for David and all all the other authors, is that their complaint leads back to trust. God, I'm alone, I'm afraid, I'm lost, I'm angry, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God. But God is still my hope, and God is still my fortress, and God is still my Savior. That's how the Psalms go. Complaint, complaint, left unchecked by hope, leads to bitterness. For some of you, that's the story of your last 12 months. If it's just why, 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 over and over and again, it leads to bitterness. What Moses has discovered is that the deserts, the wilderness of our lives, are fertile ground. Now you might think, John, you're crazy. Nothing grows in deserts. Well, cactuses. There's two other things that can grow in a desert. Complaint or transformation. The wilderness, the desert, is fertile ground either for complaint as it was for the Israelites or for transformation. And transformation happens when our why questions turn into what questions. Instead of why me, why this, why now, instead, God, what are you trying to show me? This is why the Psalms are powerful because the why questions turn into what questions. God, what are you doing that I'm not even aware of? It's the difference. Everybody clench your fists as tight as you can. That's the why questions. And there is biblical evidence for shaking your fists and being angry at God. He can handle it. He's not afraid of any of your doubts and any of your struggles and any of your questions. But at some point, do you unclench your fists? Doesn't that feel so much better? Because what can't you do when your fists are clenched? You can't receive. Do your why questions turn into what questions? Example, look at this from Exodus 13. So go back a few chapters if you're in the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, really easy to find. Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 17. God did not, listen to this, God did not lead them along the main road. Anybody gotten off the main road in your life? Okay, look at this. God did not lead them along the main road when they first left Egypt that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route. To the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt and go back to slavery. So God led them, get this, in a roundabout way. If any of you ever get frustrated with those new roundabouts out in the suburbs, it was God's idea first. He invented it, okay? So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. This situation is ripe for complaint. God, what are you thinking? This doesn't make any sense, God. What are you doing? Why, God? But if that why, God, is turned to a what, God, they would have found is that this detour was actually a move of God to get them to the very purpose that they were created for, to get them to the promised land. Hear me say this. The detour was a part of their destiny. Amen? The detour was actually a part of their destiny. Destiny. Now, does God cause every single detour in our lives? Absolutely not. But He uses every single one. Isn't that true? As you look back on your life, can't you see God's hand in every single one of the parts of that mess, all of the detours? 
And I wonder if God is asking some of you today, how many detours in your life is it going to take for you to realize that with God, the wilderness is never wasted? The wilderness is never wasted with God. If you're in it alone and you're trying to do your own thing, wasted. But with God, it's never wasted. If only we believe that. We come up with all sorts of ways to cope in the wilderness. We know that complaint will lead to bitterness. But before we know it, that turns into cynicism. I've heard it, I've heard it in others. I've felt it creeping into my own heart sometimes. Saying or thinking things like, oh, these things always happen to me. Of course this would happen. I've been burned so many times. I mean, why even get my hopes up anymore for this relationship or for uh, give me a break at work or uh, why even get my hopes up to, to trust a church? Again, I've been burned before. And we can grow bitter towards the world and towards God. And the reason that we know that being a cynic is not the solution is that none of us started that way. We ask our kids that are five and seven, they're at this prime age where they're getting aware of the world. We ask our kids all the time, hey, Caleb, hey, Evie, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Because their lives are just filled with this childlike awe and wonder. What do you want to be when you grow up? And not once has Caleb said, dad, I want to be a cynic. I'd love to grow old and be a serious adult and be bitter. Not once. Not once have they said that. What we discover soon enough is that being a cynic, of which a lot of us struggle with, is an exhausting way to live. And worst of all, it steals your joy. You cannot experience the fullness of joy of God and be a cynic at the same time. It doesn't work that way. It robs your joy. But the story doesn't end there. If we don't respond with complaint or cynicism, often we'll try to control our way through it. Does anybody have one of these in their house? Maybe it doesn't look like this. We're a little old school. We have one like with buttons and stuff. Uh, these rem- who doesn't love a remote control, right? And they even they their voice command now ones like our 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 children, our five year old daughter, play Paw Patrol, right? And you can just talk right into it. They're amazing. Wouldn't it be awesome for all of us that are control freaks? If you're like me, if we had a remote control for life. And we could just fast forward through the wilderness. Oh, there's a detour coming up. Let me get to the better part of my life. Or if we could slow it down or rewind or pause the the day I was married, when we had our first child, when I got that promotion at work, the 2020-21 Iowa Hawkeye basketball season, pause and just live in that for a while, right? Whatever it is. I'm just... The big moments of life, right? Just the big, the big rocks, okay? And we could just hit pause. But here's the thing. You can't fast forward the detours. There is no remote control for life. And I think it's, well, this is that you and I long for the mountaintops, but we are changed in the valleys. We want to fast forward our way through the very seasons of our life where God is actually transforming us the most. A few months ago, uh, our family just was going stir crazy, and so we needed to get out of the house. And so just the four of us, we went on this short two to three night 
family trip. We, we did some sightseeing, you know, everybody's distance and masks and all these places are pretty empty or it was just us and we did some sightseeing or we went to this big zoo. Everybody was spread out in parks and went to a zoo and a children's museum and had fun and food and games, everything that we could do safely. And we just packed it in to two or three days. And we drive all the way there and we drive all the way back <laughs> seven, eight hours each way. And I get back and I ask Caleb, our seven-year-old, I say, hey, buddy, as we often do, what was your favorite part of that journey? He thought about it. He really thought about it. I'm like, you got to eat anything you wanted. We went to zoos. We went to parks. We did everything that you love doing. And you know what he says? The car ride with just the four of us. I kid you not. So I'm like, that's it. We're never spending money on food and games again, right? <laughs> We're just going to drive around the metro area in circles over. Okay. We can do that. They would have no idea. I'm like, Caleb, the, the ride? Like, you do understand that for 16 hours, the four of us just annoyed each other and things smelled and nobody would stop talking and whining. and compl- I mean, it was the wilderness. and That was the best part. And then it hit me, not because it was easy, but because that's where our relationships grew. What if God wasn't so much concerned with the final destination for Israel as he was with the relationship and the trust that were being built along the way? What if God is using the wilderness in your life to form things in you that you might have never found otherwise? Trust. Patience, something I know that we're all really good at. Patience. Rest. This for the parents in the room of any age kids. What if the greatest gift that you can give to your kids is not something that money can buy, but your undivided attention without your phone? The car ride, Dad. The mess. <laughs> that I want to fast forward through is your favorite part. Maybe that's God's heart for you. And I know that this year has been really, really painful for many of you, and none of us would wish it over again. But those of you that are control freaks like me, don't be so quick to control it all to get out of your wilderness. And I want to challenge you today to consider if your old normal is actually worth going back to. Did God cause the pandemic? Absolutely not. Is he absolutely willing to transform your life if you'll let him through it? Yes. Consider if your normal is worth going back to. God says no need to fast forward through the wilderness because I've never been more active in your life. If you will just stop and receive. So we try these things. We, we try complaining. We, we, we become a cynic. All these ways that we try to control and work our way through the wilderness, but instead of those unhealthy ways of coping, God's word shows us a better way. God's word shows us a better way. First of all, it's changing your filter. It's finding some companions, and it's remembering the covenant. Change your filter, find companions, remember the covenant. If you're taking notes or keeping score at home, would love for you to remember those. First of all, change your filter. No, I'm not talking about your car. 
change your filter. When it comes to interpreting life, every single one of us has a filter. We have a process that we use to determine how we react. A lot of it is what Pastor Hurst talked about a few weeks ago, your cycle of socialization. I can't even say it. It's how we were brought up. It's our family of origin. It's how you saw your parents respond to the stress and the detours of life. We all have a filter. And so when the detours come, if your filter is, well, I'm just going to watch how the rest of the world responds, and I'm going to freak out, and you can't trust God, and I'm just going to live in fear. Or is your filter God's word that reminds me I am a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which means I am not a slave to fear. I'm going to change my filter. I'm not going to look what everybody else is doing. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Change your filter. Spend time with God every single day and see life through the lens of God's promises, not through what the world says. That is not who you are. You're not in Egypt anymore, and you don't have to live that way. Secondly, find some companions. Find some companions. What most people forget about Moses is that we could do a whole sermon series just on this text. It's so rich. But what a lot of people forget about Moses as the leader through this wilderness journey is that he didn't do it alone. There's this beautiful story in Exodus 17 where God's people, the Israelites, are fighting this battle. And God says, Moses, as long as your arms are lifted up, that all God's people, it's like secret weapon, Holy Spirit power, boom, and they're winning. But this battle goes on for hours. I mean, this is like one of those tests in Survivor, the TV show Survivor. Who can keep their arms up the longest? And Moses is like, I can't do it. And he has two buddies, two dear friends, Aaron and her. Not hers and him, her, H-U-R, don't be confused. Aaron and her, and they come alongside And it says, when Moses was about to give up, when he grew weary, Aaron and her hold up his arms until the battle is won. The wilderness is hard enough, and some of you are trying to do it alone. Because you're so afraid of being vulnerable. You're so afraid of it. I said I'm a fellow control freak that likes to cover things up. If I can stand in front of a couple hundred people and say, I'm a mess, and that's my life... (laughs) Can you let some people into your life? It's why we have support groups here, that there's absolutely no shame in coming. I love it when people come to the door and I say, hey, can I help you? And they say, I'm here for group. I say, praise God, I'm so glad that you're here. And they walk in, no guilt, no shame, because I'm addicted. I'm an addict, and if I don't show up for my group, I don't know if I'm going to make it. They have some errands and some hers that are lifting up their arms. It's why we have dozens of small groups for men and women and couples and young adults and Revive and Kairos for college students. Where are your companions on the journey? Don't go through the wilderness alone. Men's ministry, women's ministry, any of the classes that we have, find some companions. Change your filter, find some companions, and finally, remember the covenant. Remember the covenant. The covenant. Now there's a big Bible word, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's totally fine. So let's unpack it together. In our reading today that John read for us so well from Deuteronomy, at the very end of their journey, so fast forward, Exodus 13 is way back here, Deuteronomy 29, they're just about at the promised land. And by the way, Moses never got there. His protege, Joshua, took, takes them into the promised land. For those of you that are nearing the end of your life, nearing retirement and the later seasons of your journey, just so you know, some of the greatest fruit in your life will grow on other people's trees. 
So don't be so confused and freak out about it if everything in my life isn't happening the way that it does. The greatest thing, parents, that you do may not be something you accomplish in your lifetime. It'll be somebody that you raise. What's going on under your own roof? It's your legacy. Moses hands it to Joshua. At the very end of their detour, they're about to enter the promised land. And through Moses, God says this. The Lord says, go ahead and go to the next slide. The Lord says, oh, I don't have that one. Go back. There you go. You're good. Thank you. The Lord says, during these 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out. That, that's pretty amazing. Our kids' clothes wear out after about a half a day. Your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. God says in another place in Deuteronomy chapter 1, there in the desert, in the wilderness, in the detours, I carried you like a father. That's a promise from the God of the universe to you. In other words, God says, I keep my promises even in the desert, even in the detours of life, because this is a covenant, not a contract. Athletes make contracts. Sports coaches have contracts. I'm going to sign a deal for $50 million for five years. And here's the thing with contracts you hear all the time. They just rip it up and move on. God did not make a contract with them at Mount Sinai when he gives his people the Ten Commandments back in Exodus. God made a covenant with us. A contract says, maybe I'm committed to you unless something better comes up. It's why we call it a covenant of marriage. It's not how you feel from day to day. It's a covenant of marriage that says, I am committed to you no matter what. God says, 40 years ago, I made a covenant with you that I would bring you from here to there. Covenant one fulfilled. And not only that, you and I today have a savior who fulfilled this covenant to Abraham, even before Moses, hundreds of years before that, long ago, that a Messiah, Abraham, look at the stars in the sky, that your family will be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing, and out of your line will come the Messiah. And Jesus Christ, we have it. They didn't. Even in the promised land, with that covenant fulfilled, we have it that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again, overcoming any detour that life could throw at us. Your loss, your grief, your loneliness, your fear, even death itself has been defeated. Covenant fulfilled. Covenant fulfilled. I love, one of my favorite authors right now is Vanitha Risner. She puts it this way, and I think this just sums up the message today. There are three things that comfort me in suffering, a.k.a. the wilderness, a.k.a. the desert, a.k.a. your pain, your detours. One is knowing that God is with me. Two is knowing that God is using my suffering. What do you want to teach me, God? And three is knowing that my suffering is going to end. That's the sermon in a quote. I could have just done that and walked off the stage. That's it. That's the sermon. As followers of Jesus, whatever you are up against today, you already have the victory. You already have the victory. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until every single one of your longings and your desires 
to be fulfilled, to have victory. You can walk in that today. Some of you are like, oh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. The vaccine's coming. We herd immunity is coming. All of that. Jesus isn't just a light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus is a light in the middle of the tunnel right here proclaiming you have victory today. Right in the middle of your detour. Right in the middle. You already have the victory. Several years back, a film came, uh, came out called Moneyball. It was about 10 years old now, and it tells the true story of uh, the general manager of the Oakland A's. His name was Billy Bean. It's based on a true story. And he finds himself in the wilderness. He's a single dad. He's trying to find success. He's trying to find meaning in his life. He's in the wilderness, and he feels defeated. Some of you are there today. My life doesn't matter. It doesn't have value. I'm lost. And so he's in the wilderness, and in this final scene, one of Billy's friends that's on the, the Major League Baseball team's staff pulls him into the video room and shows him this footage of a player <laughs> that doesn't have a lot going for him. But this player's experienced a victory, just like us, just like you and I. And he doesn't even realize it. Let's take a look. Jeremy Brown had no idea that the ball had already gone over the fence. It was a home run, which means he doesn't have to worry about the entire rest of the trip around the bases. He gets to live in freedom and peace and joy and rest knowing that there's nothing to perform, there's nothing to prove, there's nothing to do. The ball has already hit over the fence. All he has to do is to trust that the victory is already his. Amen? And that is the same for you and I today. As I said at the beginning, some of you are here for the very first time. Some of you have been here for quite a while, and one of the hardest things about being a pastor is that we don't know what's going on in every single heart that's here in the room, that's online, worshiping with us right now. But if you're here today and you have unanswered prayers or doubts or fears about the future, hey, I don't know what this church is going to be like. <laughs> Am I going to find a place to, to be involved? Can, can, can this be the kind of church that I belong? It's, it's a little different kind of church. What's it going to be like in a year or two or five or ten? I, I fears about the future. What, what is everything going to be like in my life? Jesus says, don't forget that I have already hit the ball over that fence when I rose from the grave. Home run, game over, death defeated, covenant fulfilled, hope Elam. We have the victory. We have the victory. It's time to rise up. It's time to get going. It's time to stop living in fear because we've already won. Not all who wander are lost. Not all who have faced a detour or are on a detour are lost. Sometimes your detour is a part of God getting you to your destiny and you can trust him. He's got you. He's got us even in the wilderness. Amen? Let's stand and prepare our hearts for Holy Communion.